Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams welcomes Dr. Lara Marillo, President and CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and author of the best-selling book, Lead in Life. Dr. Marillo, so you've been president of the Houston Chamber of Commerce for almost 15 years. What are you most proud of in your tenure? I must say that I'm most proud of the diversity that we've been able to build and establish not only amongst our board members, our emerging leaders, our business institute. We've gone out of our way to make sure that we are a diverse and inclusive organization because I believe if we are going to ask others to do the same, it has to start with us. Absolutely. And so what would you say have been some of the chamber's biggest successes and challenges? Well, certainly when I came on board in 2007, having left my job at the Texas Medical Center, reporting to the CEO as an executive, for me, it was a very big leap of faith. But I knew that with the right people, passion and persistence that I saw the organization not for what it was, but what it could be individuals on that board and outside of the board that I knew would be the right people to help us overcome challenges that we might face. And year after year, we continue to build that organization to what it is today as one of the most influential that continues to grow and is relevant and is impactful and is advocating on behalf of business, not only locally at the state level, nationally, but also internationally. So to think back of where we were when I started and where we are today, how far we've come along, gives me a great sense of hope that there is an opportunity to continue to build on it, but most certainly that we have come a very long way. And so you mentioned seeing opportunities in the organization. What were some of those opportunities that you saw? Well, it was an opportunity to create a strategic plan with our board. We had to know what was a priority for us, where we were going to focus, and that, in fact, we were a business organization, that we would refer people out to other organizations when it went outside of our lane. And we've been able to do so. Because my degree was in journalism, I understood the importance of communicating our message to the masses. And so I established a radio program, a television program on several stations in England. Just use that as a microphone to showcase entrepreneur stories, success, and other things on this media platform that is unlike any other in the country. We are the only chamber of commerce that has that. And partly because I felt that if we were going to be a relevant organization, a strong organization, I believe it was important to utilize the media by creating our own platform. And so I serve as founding executive producer and host in addition to my job at the chamber and as founding and executive president CEO of our foundation. How did you go about getting like a media platform established? I asked. I just realized that from a young age when I was in in college and even in high school, I was the editor of my school paper and my degrees in journalism. And I understood the importance and the power of the pen and media. And I knew that our community, the business community needed a voice, a strong voice. And so I just went about going around town and it took me about two years before anyone said yes to host us on air and on radio. And if anything, they said, go to Spanish because that's where they will take you. And my response was, well, we speak English. We're 
college educated. We listen to mainstream media. We want to be, you know, heard and seen on mainstream media. And it took a little bit, but eventually we were able to land those opportunities and have been on the air for over 13 years. That's pretty incredible. So you also recently published a book, Lead in Life. What drove you to write that? Well, thank you for that. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I think several things. Number one, I had thought about it for 10 years. And then the global pandemic came. Like everyone, our work shifted to Zoom seven days a week, every day at night, early mornings. Didn't get to see people. And like everyone else, just kept hearing about more death, people losing jobs, people feeling that they were just being lost in this this chaos of this pandemic. And I made the conscious decision that I would not sit back and just let this time go without producing something. And probably after my, you know, second pint of ice cream, I said, okay, (laughs) just get busy. And so I just started. And I am just so happy that I was able to be resilient and push through and write this book and to have my daughter see me during that process because both one never went to college. She was going to school remotely to Georgetown University. So she was home and the other had to come back from New York, from Columbia University. And so both of them were there working on school. I was working in the evenings I was writing and writing. And I'm happy to say that um, within just a few short days, the book that I wrote was able to become a number one international bestseller in three countries and in over 15 different business categories, which is unbelievable, unheard of when you think about the fact that 95% of all published books, 95% of published authors are white. Less than 2% of published authors are Hispanic. And for this book to become a number one bestseller in three countries in 15 categories, outperforming the likes of Elon Musk, (laughs) Anderson Cooper, From Good to Great, The Harvard Business Review, on and on and on. The Nike way, the Toyota way, the McKenzie way is unbelievable, Jonathan. That is absolutely incredible. And so what were some of the challenges you faced in like putting this book together? Knowing where to start and just starting. I think the hardest part of so many of our goals in life is just starting the fear and the doubt and and looking at the whole picture. And it was just sitting back and saying, okay, just start. Started putting pieces of paper, sheets of paper on the floor with photos and pasting them on these sheets because I didn't know how to use some of the software and was able to send it off to the printing company and the publishers. And so those kinds of things that are behind the scene that no one gets to look at. But I will say it was also very, very therapeutic a big part of my life, the champions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, the pain, the tragedy, the live for another day experience. And then to know that it was done and to actually receive it in the mail and and have a book launch at the Post Oak and Tillman Fertitta's private club, surreal, all of it. And so speaking of uh, influential people in your life, you cite your father as being a big influence as to how you lead. What was the biggest thing he taught you? He showed me, never by telling me, but by the opportunity of me from the age of 10 until I was 21 to work by his side. I learned how hard 
he worked. I saw how hard he worked. And it instilled in me that in order to succeed, one must work hard. And so I saw that I learned compassion. A woman who dedicated her life, I just realized that I could not live a life in vain and not dedicate all of their sacrifices and put them to good use and do what I've been able to do because of them and in honor of them. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you mentioned it in your book as well, that having a diverse board made up of not just Hispanics was very important to you when getting into the Houston Chamber of Commerce. Why is that? Well, it was not diverse when I first came to it. If we were going to continue to open doors and get ahead and and expand our programs and raise more money, that we would need to bring in a diverse board. And so our board agreed, whether it was from the corporate standpoint, from franchise standpoint, from energy, you name it. And we became much more strategic. And then we also realized that at the end of the day, the CEOs of those corporations were not Hispanic. And it was okay because we wanted them to learn from us. And then we wanted to learn from them. And it's become a much stronger organization as a result. So how did you tackle this challenge? Well, I began talking to the board about it and there was some resistance. I think early on, the truth is we need to get our internal house in order. And then once we did, I broached the topic again. And so much of this is about the right timing and the right people and what our needs were. And I remember there were needs such as having people in energy and having people in in the medical field. And once we agreed that those are the programs we wanted to pursue, I presented names of very high-level executives, including Juanita Romans, who went on not only to be a member of our board, she went on to be asked to serve on our executive committee, ultimately to become the first white woman to serve as the chair of Chamber of Commerce. And and others came along the way. And, And now we have Paul Murphy, who is our chairman of the board. He too was someone that I had nominated and he was approved and was asked to serve on the executive committee and became the first white man to serve as our present CEO. And it doesn't matter to us that any of them are not Hispanic. What matters is their leadership and that they understand the goal and mission and that we're here to advocate on behalf of the business and civic interests of our community. And as I like to say, as go Hispanics, so goes Houston, given our demographics. But we've got to work together and it must be an us mentality, not an us versus them. And so you yourself have faced a lot of adversity, as mentioned in your book, including a carjacking and a health scare. How have these experiences shaped you as a leader? We're all human and that we all suffer sadness and tragedy and and that we have life's ups and downs, but it's how you respond, how you react, what you do with that experience. And so those are two very personal experiences that I had not shared with many, but I felt it was important for people to see that one needs to be resilient and that these are part of who we are and these are the stories of, of getting back up again. And I wanted women, I wanted people, I wanted folks who have suffered to see that that you can come back from that and that it can make you stronger and that you can move forward and that they serve as reminders that life is short and that one must live your, their, their days to the fullest because we don't know how long we're going to be here. So the way you described that carjacking was incredibly gripping. It, it seemed like it had just happened to you. How did you manage to like get in the mental state to like to put that on paper? 
as mentioned, I think it was very therapeutic because I not talked about it very much, but I do remember it as if it were yesterday. I still see the eyes of the individual that held that gun to me. I still feel that still gun in the temple of my head. I still remember my mother screaming and yelling and my pulling her out of the car so hard that her shoes stayed in the vehicle. And my brain has just recorded that memory. I wrote it, rewrote it, and rewrote it numerous times to try to capture and bring people into that moment because there were seconds. All of this happened within seconds. And I was just trying to paint that picture so people could understand what was going on and and how I felt this calm come over me and how my mother did not. And then what happened after the carjacking and how she went on post-carjacking and and what I went through post-carjacking. And so it was a good experience for me to put it down on paper. I really think that it served me well as a reminder that I have so much to be grateful for. Dr. Lana Murillo joining us. In our next segment, more from her book and how she landed one of Houston's biggest names when Texas Business Minds continues. This summer, Texas Mutual Insurance Company sent $330 million in dividends to policyholders across the state. It's our way of rewarding resilient businesses who never wavered in their commitment to working safe. More at TexasMutual.com. Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds as Managing Editor Jonathan Adams visits with Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce President and CEO, Dr. Lara Mario. The other part in your book that kind of took me away was how it took you three years to get someone for Tita to speak at your luncheon a few years ago. What did you learn in doing that? What I learned is that something that I say, people, passion, and persistence. And that's how I have lived my life. And it wasn't, it was more than him speaking. It was to have someone of his caliber, his experience, see us, see us as the consumer spender here in the greater Houston region of over $54 billion, to see us in a room of over close to 2,000 people when he came out to speak to know that they weren't there because they knew who was speaking. As a matter of fact, he said, wow, all these people are here to see me speak and hear me speak. And I said, no, they don't even know you're our keynote speaker. (laughs) And we don't give folks the name of our, our speakers. We just had an event on Friday and no one knew who the keynote speaker was. They come because we bring together some of the most talented decision makers in our city. And we try to put a program that's motivational and inspirational. And our keynote speaker is an added bonus. And so to have someone like Tillman Fertitta come out and speak, but more importantly, for him to see who we are, to get a better understanding of the role that we play in the city, the follow-up that came as a result of him being at that luncheon would include it us partnering with his executives and hosting CEOs at the hotel that he owns with his team. And for us to be able to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion to open the doors of procurement for others. And it was establishing a relationship with one of the largest employers in our city. And so it was much more than that. And it was certainly 
something that I wanted to describe in the book to others that that you've got to work at things that people don't say yes right away. And he did not say yes right away. No, he did not. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounded like you didn't even know he was going to be the keynote speaker until he arrived. Is that right? I was assured that two days or a day before, I think two days before that it was likely he would be there. But if not, that he assured us that he did not want to leave me hanging and that in the event he could not show up. They did not tell me who the plan B was. And I did not tell them that we had, we, I say I, I had a plan B. And all the board knew was, trust me, we have a speaker, but I can't talk about it and it's going to be fine. And and he showed up and he was there and we didn't need his plan B and we didn't need my plan B. I can't imagine how nerve wracking that could be. <laughs> Just yeah. to know that you need to come up with so many plan Bs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But luckily we pressed the plan A button and his video came upon a, a big, big screen of him jumping out of a helicopter and the music was blaring a song called I Am The King. And it was over the top fantastic. That's awesome. Speaking of luncheons, the chamber recently had its annual luncheon. About how many people would you say were in attendance? About 2,000, almost 2,000 people were. And I'll tell you, we weren't sure with the conversation of not holding it this year. But the more we talked, if you think you can do it and you're ready, move forward and we'll support you. And, And we did. And what people don't know is that the chamber has a small staff. We have four people, including myself, on that team. And we pulled off the largest business luncheon and expo in Houston. We've done it every year. And this was no exception. It was a challenge. But I encourage you to to look out there and, and you'll find that, you know, other groups have significantly larger staffs and pull off, you know, luncheons that are half the size. And we raised 30% more than we've ever raised at this particular luncheon. And it's partly because our sponsors believe in us. They see the value in it. They know that we're going to provide a top-notch program, et cetera. And so I'm just so thrilled that the board has has such trust and confidence in me that we could pull it off together and that people left there inspired, motivated, excited, and happy to know that the business is alive and well in Houston. I have to admit, that was probably the largest event I've been to since early 2020, I would say. What were some of the challenges you faced in putting this together? (laughs) Well, there were many. Of course, communicating with corporate sponsors and what their protocols were, making sure people were going to show up. Jonathan, I think that was the biggest one. Will they actually show up? Number two, the money. So many people had cut back. So many people were not making their philanthropic contributions, the protocols, what kind of protocols would we have in place? Would people wear masks? Would they use the sanitizer? The hotel, trying to figure out what our guarantee was going to be to them in terms of numbers. All of the above magnified by this overarching challenge of not knowing month to month and being willing and able to pull the plug if we had to and cancel the event. So all of that combined is a lot of pressure. Plus, there were only four of us on staff. I can't even fathom it, honestly. Overall, how do you think it went? Well, based on the comments and reviews, I think it was perhaps one of our most impactful, very well attended. And certainly from a revenue standpoint, as mentioned, we had never raised this much money. 
at our annual luncheon. So by all indicators, I would say A plus. Speaking of which, you did mention that you guys had raised uh, 30% more than usual. Why do you think that is? Well, a few things. Number one, I think there's this realization that that the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is in fact an influencer. It is respected. It is relevant, not only locally, but the state level and internationally. And so there's that cognizant awareness by contributors and sponsors. Number two is that they understand that we were throughout the pandemic serving, working, picking up the phones, doing everything we could to help our, our sponsors to help our businesses connecting the dots. And and we worked overtime. I still remember those Zoom calls on Sundays, on Saturday mornings at night during the week at all hours. And I was able to call those sponsors and say, we're holding our lunch and we need you. Absolutely, Dr. Moria, you got it. Let me see if I can find some more money. Let me see what I can do. We'll be there. How many volunteers do you need? And so I think it was just the uh, reciprocal relationship and just our longstanding position in this in this great city. Since becoming the Chamber's leader, what are some programs that you're most proud of rolling out? Well, one of them most certainly needs, has to be the Emerging Leaders Institute and the creation of our foundation. When I was growing up, I realized that there were people who had influence and that motivated and inspired me. And as I've said in my book, that we need to see people who look like us do things that we hope to do someday. Everyone was about the same age and everyone somewhat was in the same sectors or the same race, ethnicity. And I thought if we're going to continue to grow and, and, and become and continue to be relevant, we need to expand our audience. And one way to do that was to engage these younger professionals. And corporations were trying to find younger professionals to work with them. And we wanted to recruit them. And so it became a win-win-win situation. These young people now had a reason to be involved with us and the corporations could come and help recruit them and speak to them, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I realized that I could put a blueprint together of the different elements that helped me get to where I am today, including having corporate sponsors speak, having different videos and different conversations and a curriculum that I put together and most of it which I deliver in terms of sharing my experiences with them so that they can grasp and see that there are so many people who want to support them and help them and to see them develop and transform from great individuals to phenomenal people. How do you think it's gone so far? Well, I think it's gone very well, especially with the naysayers who said, number one, you don't need it. Number two, you'll never raise money. Number three, there are already leadership programs out there. And we've been able in a short period of time to graduate over 300 of them. People who've graduated from the program are also very diverse. We've seen them go on to law school, get PhD, earn doctorates, change careers altogether just becomes so much more focused. We've been their cheerleader when they've been in either in homes or in relationships where perhaps their success is not understood or not valued or appreciated. They can share that success with us and we can applaud them and we can cheer them on to keep them going. We're there when they get to go on a management track and move to Europe and everyone else is saying, why are you doing that? We're proud of you. Get on that fast track. 
So it's this whole idea notion of surrounding them with others who have done it or who can appreciate success. I was really impressed with the, the number of young leaders that were up on stage with you at the luncheon. So what's next for the chamber? Well, we continue our trajectory to serve the business community. We are working very hard to get people vaccinated. We're working very hard to help with the supply chain issues, with the shortages. We continue to seek national exposure for Houston, for our businesses, for our people, so that Houston continues to be a hub for business. So we have much to do. But most of all, right now, our big focus is to give people that hope and inspiration to let them know we are here for them and that they can and in fact will continue to move out of this pandemic and back to some normalcy. Is there anything else that you think I might have missed? No, I think the book just certainly is something that I hope that people will read and that it will inspire them. And that I just want to reiterate that my goal was to write the book. It was something I thought of for 10 years, and then I finally did it and had no idea that it would do so well and that I'm getting calls and emails and Facebook posts and text messages from folks from around the globe who have been inspired people with children sending me photos of their children reading the book, adults who are executives calling to learn more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, what they can do with their corporations. And so I'm just so appreciative. I'm so thankful. I hope that others use this time to pursue their passions and their goals, and that it's never too late to do something that you've always wanted to do. Thanks to Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce President and CEO, Dr. Lara Murillo, for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals, and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.